Many of you have been introduced. Many of you have been introduced once or twice to my uh, little dog, which I'm not sure if I'd call him a dog. He's more of a cat dog. He's too small to be a real dog. <laughs> Gus Gus, right? He's a shapoo, and I rescued him. And I, everybody goes, oh, you rescued him? And they're ready to go. He's such a nice man. No, I rescued him from Manitoba. So I call him a rescue. Just like I say, Pastor Josiah, I, he's a rescue. I rescued him from Manitoba. <laughs> so, but I'm not that good of a guy because I do, Gus, almost every morning I say, okay, we'll renew your contract for one more day. But if he, if he messes up, I might ship him back, you know? And he's funny because this dog, like dogs have fur and they're supposed to be hot. And this, this dog almost every night sleeps under the covers with Jada. Under the covers, so there'll be uh, Jada, and she's all cute, and I said, look, and there's this little, and he's totally tucked up right till here, just like any kid, and he's hap- it's just unbelievable. If you get up in the morning, he'll, he'll follow whomever, and then he'll cuddle up. You know, usually, I get up pretty early, so it's just hi to me, and then he goes on and uh, sees if Jody's awake. If not, he goes down the stairs through the door, and he hangs out with Norm, and once Norm gets up, then he hangs out over with Kyler. He just makes his round. He's a lover. He's not a fighter. <laughs> Gus Gus. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty good. But let me tell you, before this, I had a dog named Bud. And I was looking all over the place, and it's like you got to chase down the SPCAs. And some of you know this. To find a dog is hard because they got all these big roddies and these pit bulls and stuff, and they're all there. But somebody wants something maybe a little more cash of a dog, maybe. And uh, you go there, and it's spoken for, it's spoken for, it's spoken for. Like every dog is spoken for, all these cute little things and stuff. And finally, I come across Bud, and Bud's in the Matsuku Institution. So that's right. He's out of jail. So the, the folks that are kind of transitioning out of jail, they're teaching them how to train animals. So it's really cool. So they're actually training the dogs. So I actually had to show up at the jail. Thank the Lord they let me out. But I showed up at the jail, and then I actually hung out. I first of all hung out with uh, Bud, and they saw if I was a good fit with him. And then I actually even hung out for, for a bit with the inmate who showed me some of the things and how he actually trained Bud. So then it was kind of cool. There was a, finally a transition, and Bud was kind of interesting because when I read his file, which is usually pasted to the cage that he's in, right, I looked, and this guy had been given up, and he saved his last owners from a black bear attack. Wow. Who would give up a dog like that? I don't care if you're living in a condo in White Rock. You've got to keep a dog like that and feed him steak. Right? So it was unbelievable. So I adopted this dog, and he was quite something. He, uh, like, people would turn around. I, I just remember people would actually be driving by a Marine Drive. They'd see Buddy, and they'd actually turn around to get another glimpse of him. Because you know those, uh, um, those sprinklers that go, right? So he'd go, and he could do that for hours. I'd be my babysitter. Like, you know, you throw a stick for a dog or a rock, and I had kids, it was the worst, because kids, like somebody like Cody would go, oh, look, he plays fetch, and he'd throw a rock, and Buddy would go, <laughs> just, he would grab a rock, and I'm thinking dollar signs, because his chipped, you know, chipped teeth and all this, I just, he'd go in the river here by the reserve, and he'd, you'd throw a stick, but he was not interested in a stick. I kid you not, this dog would swim on his back and bring back a tree, a tree that was actually, like, what am I going to do with a tree, buddy, you know? So most of, hey, what was he? He was a kind of a blue healer, right? He's a, yeah, he's gone now. He's, he's with the good Lord. If dogs are in heaven, I don't know. 
But nonetheless, yeah, I got stories galore of this dog. But one thing that totally drove me crazy is he was, he was such a good dog, but if another dog, if one of his cousins, we call him, hey, there's your cousin. If he see a cousin or a dog, he, he would just bolt. And I, bud, bud, bud. And he would just, I don't care if it was a huge roddy or if it's a little thing, but he wasn't interested in making trouble, but he was high, high energy. And he'd come roaring up to little dogs or roaring up to beasts. And, and he would just sniff them out and then go on. But that made people nervous big time. So there we are on Kiel, and then there's Marine. And I have him, and uh, I say, okay, bud, let's go for a walk. And then one of his cousins walks on Marine. Well, he just, and he bolts, and he does not look both ways before he crosses the street. It drives me crazy. So it's so many gray hairs from this dog, and he would not stop. And I could train him all sorts of stuff, but not this. So I talked to a dog trainer, and so the dog trainer said this, is that you got to get one of these fancy um, leashes that, it releases and they go like 20 feet and then you can lock it. So what I'm supposed to do is we're out there and if he sees one of his cousins and he bolts, you give him lots of leeway so he just starts ripping down the road and then I lock it. And as I lock it, he goes, you know, and I also go, hey, you know. So he, he runs toward Marine Drive and just as he comes to the end, he goes, and I go, hey. So there's all sorts of stimulation, right, from the what happened to my neck to also why is he yelling? So if, if you're an animal lover, I was told this by somebody else, okay? And it was interesting because I actually had to be stern. I had to be disciplined. I had to do something with this dog and I had to teach him how to obey. Otherwise, he'd be dead. Although he's dead already, but from old age. So I actually had to teach this dog who's the alpha male, right? I had to teach him that you got to listen to me. And if he doesn't listen to me, he'd be long dead. But I had to somehow convince him and train him that obeying me brought life. Obeying me brought life. And he had to trust me on that. Right? He had to trust that obeying me had, was good things for him. Because so oftentimes, somebody in authority doesn't necessarily have your best interest in mind. But Bud had to believe that I had his best interest in mind and I'd feed him at the end of the day. Well, you guys, you know, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, this is the big A word that none of us like, authority. We got to understand Christ's authority when it comes to our lives in Christ. But here's the big ticket item, is some of us misunderstand authority. Some of us have grown up in a horrible home. In fact, I'm reading a book right now that started off with a bunch of child abuse. And I'm going like, oh, I hope it gets better than this because I hate that stuff. But a kid that grew up in the foster system, and he wrote, he wrote this book on how to be positive and, and how to be an optimist. And uh, it was really cool. It was actually in the Grand Prairie area where he was adopted finally into a fa fancy, uh, I mean, a really good home. And um, this couple had raised all their children, but now they adopted this little kiddo that had been abused and thrown all over the foster system. And it took them so long to love on this kid. And then all of a sudden he came out of that staring zone, staring at the ceiling, and he realized that he was loved by this older couple. Really, really cool stuff. <clears throat> and he had a poor sense of authority because his foster situations, oftentimes, they came with hardcore authority, but it was never high love. It was just simply authority and often abusive authority. When we talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're talking full of grace and truth. He knows who you are, and he knows who he is. 
So many times, us as dads and moms, we don't quite know who we are. We still struggle with our own self-images, and we still struggle with some of the stuff going on in our lives. In fact, I've said so many times, it's so hard to raise kids to maturity when I'm not mature myself. Parenting's hard. You kiddos, you wait till you have kiddos, man. And then we're going to sit back, and I'm going to give your kids candy. A bunch of candy and soda pop and a really wild puppy. You know? It's hard. But I want us to see that how important it is that we have a right view of who Jesus is. We have to have a right view of who Jesus is. Otherwise, we can have a cockeyed view of authority, and therefore, we won't have a good, healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. So before we jump in, let's pray about that. Father, this morning, we want to have a, uh, a drop-jaw faith. That's what we've entitled this uh, sermon today. A drop-jaw faith, because in this story, we're actually baffled by how Jesus responds to somebody. And I kind of would love it if all of us walked out of this place today convinced that we too will be a part of the story where maybe if Jesus came again in the flesh, he'd kind of do a double-take at our faith. He'd do a double-take going like, Steve, Cody, you get it. You get it, and you've displayed faith because you know me. So, Lord, I do pray that this morning, that if there's a, uh, an area in our lives where we've been struggling, an area in our lives where we would love for you to show up, I pray that what one guy said in the Bible, Lord, I believe, help our unbelief. Even if now one of your answers, Lord, is no, or one of your answers is wait, help our unbelief. Lord, help us to have faith because our faith is not just in an answer. Our faith is in the almighty, sovereign king of the universe. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Drop, drop faith, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. As you know, we've been in Luke forever, and it will continue on forever, because there's so many cool stories in here. And we've just come off of some of the uh, Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain. The book of Matthew has it all kind of jammed together, and it's pretty huge, that portion of Scripture. But the book of Luke has the Sermon on the Plain, but also will have some of the other Beatitudes and stuff throughout the book. So now we get a little bit of a break on that heavy-duty sermon. But now what's really cool is we're actually watching, and I want you to put your thinking caps on for this, because we've been talking about people coming down from the Mount, coming to the Plain, and they came to see Jesus... They came to like be with him, they came to be healed by Jesus, and they came to be delivered. Okay? So we've been encouraging everybody here that we realize that this is the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, so these are Jesus' words here, and if we actually hang out with the word and be changed by the word, you'll get to know Jesus more. So you'll actually be in the presence of the Almighty, and just like these people on Sermon on the Plain, they came to be with Jesus. So I want to get to know Jesus, and we do that through his word and prayer and hanging out with each other. We come to be healed, and we're talking physical, spiritual, emotional, and some of us also being delivered. Some of us have lived into a pattern of sin because this is the way your dad did it, this is the way his dad did it, and this is the way that dad did it, and it's time to stop and break the chain. Or perhaps there's something in your life that, you know, booze or something's got a grip on you, 
And we also want to be a part of that journey and help you be delivered from that kind of garbage, right? We are here to look into the eyes of Jesus, to spend time with him, to be healed by him, and to be delivered. So here we go. Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. So he's on his deathbed. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and to heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my officers or soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, well, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. So this is where I get the whole drop jaw faith kind of deal. He was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't even seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Or the message says this, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know about God and how he works, when the messengers got back home, they found the servant up and well. Isn't that a cool portion of scripture? And there's some stuff in here, you guys, that I think wherever you're at in your road of faith, this is good stuff. I would like to give you this, uh, um, this equation. In this passage, I think we have faith, equals hearing and responding with humility plus understanding authority. So let me say that again. Faith equals hearing, responding with humility, and understanding authority. And by understanding authority, I'm going to say who Jesus is. So we got to look at the background here. We're looking back to the Sermon on the Plain. So if you know the last number of weeks, we've been sitting in that sermon for quite some time. Now we've just popped out. We've been talking about stuff like uh, don't judge or go the extra mile. Learn how to be generous. Turn the other cheek. How to rest in God. How to be merciful. How to build a good foundation. Or how to bear fruit in your Christian walk. So we've been talking about all sorts of stuff. And now he's come away from that time of intense sermonizing, shall we say, and he's come back to Capernaum. You guys, Luke has written to a Greek audience, and he's written to Theophilus. Theophilus is a guy that has some power within the government, and Luke is coming as kind of like a lawyer slash doctor, and he's writing very, very particularly and he's getting evidence from all over the place, from hearsay, from different documents, and he's being very, very methodical so that Theophilus can look at this document and also see that there is validity in this. So he's being very careful, and he's presenting Jesus Christ to Theophilus. 
So I kind of find it interesting because here now we come across another soldier. Here now we come across another person in authority. Here now we come across somebody that is not part of the Jewish culture nor of the Jewish religion. And Jesus says, what about him? I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. So I was sitting there going, what would it be like if Jesus said that about me? I've not seen this faith in all of White Rock or you guys. I've not seen this kind of faith. Wouldn't that be a kind of a cool thing on your epitaph? So we look at this portion of scripture here and we got to understand, first of all, the background because it's kind of cool. Jesus is always, and, and Luke also, is always looking out for the poor, looking out for the homeless, looking out for the orphans and all that stuff. And here he again brings it around and he is again highlighting how incredible this is that a person that did not grow up in the Jewish faith all of a sudden has this simple trust that you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. I know he can be healed. Unbelievable. And he's giving us an example again. So the last number of chapters, he's been teaching, teaching, teaching. And now we're going to see this in action. And that's a little bit of a reminder for us too. If you come here on a Sunday morning because you want to hear teaching and just raise your hands and worship, but not go out and do something, then you might have it a little backwards. Because even Jesus is teaching here and now he's going out when he comes to Capernaum. The first thing we see here is kind of interesting is we see, we come across entitlement. We love to use that word for this new generation that we're faced with, right? Those kids, no good for nothing, entitled. You give them everything for that. Right? And you come to uh, chapter 7, verse 4, and I highlighted it in green. So this guy sends a bunch of Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his slave. And so they earnestly beg Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. I think we love this verse. I think if you're very, very, very honest with yourself, I love this verse. And if I'm going to get a tattoo of a verse, maybe this is the one right here. I deserve Jesus to love me. I deserve Jesus to do some healing in my life. I deserve, I deserve. And it's kind of interesting here because we're going to see in a moment that there's this juxtaposition. In the next couple of verses, the guy actually says, just heal him from where you are because I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. So the Jewish people, the elders, they love this guy. And they said, if anybody deserves a miracle, this guy does. And he's a couple of verses later going, don't even bother coming because, I mean, I don't deserve this. I'm going, Wow. But I think we really connect with the people here because let's be honest, we want to deserve. We want God to look at us and love us because of what I've done or who I am. We want to give the resume and go like, whoa, Steve's impressive. Okay. So those of you with not so impressive of a resume, perhaps he overlooks you for those that are more interesting resumes. We know that's not true. But we see here that even they are using a different scorecard than Jesus is. And they are basing this, Jesus, you really ought to do something for this guy based on human merit. Because he's worth something. Who cares about that guy or that? This guy has done stuff for the Jewish people. Yeah, you really ought to show up. And I think we've got to be careful with that stuff. 
Because I think even in our own lives, if you're really honest with yourselves, it happens to you. And sometimes even in your thinking, you think that, you know, if Jesus is going to do something, he really ought to show up for some big name. But not really for the person right beside you. Or for the person that finds his home on the streets. So it's really given a good hoof to the thought of this is not about human merit. It's not whatsoever about human merit. And we're reminded in Romans that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all memorized those verses and I think it becomes like rote to us. But if you meditate on those verses, for all have sinned and fall short. So I don't care who you are and how well you're dressed and all of your connections, what you've done even for Jesus, who cares? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's the worst verse ever because I can't get my salvation. I can't do cool stuff because it worked in school. Teachers loved me because I do something neat and then, oh, Stephen, you know. But now with God, it's just like, yeah, that's lovely you did that, but this is not on something you've done. This is a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sky Jastani, who I've talked about a number of times, he talks about this. He figures that we have inoculated a whole generation to Jesus because we've just given them little, little pieces of Jesus. So people have had this relationship with, I'm under God, or I'm over God, or I get my life from God, or I live my life for God. And he says, the big premise is, we need to live life with God. Because in all of those different cases, if you want to see his book, or if you want to check it out on YouTube, it's called With, W-I-T-H. Sky Jathani. And with it, he's saying that in every one of those uh, cases with from God, for God, under God, over God, there's some kind of truth within it. So it's just like going to Shopper's Drug Mart and getting the flu shot. You get just enough of Jesus that you never get the real deal. And guys, I'm surrounded by people like that. Even in our own family, we have people that used to sing all the lovely songs, went to a Christian school, and now they are far, far, far away from knowing Jesus because they've been inoculated. They hung out with some teacher that was all flash and bang kind of thing. And when things didn't work out or somebody gets cancer or something bad happens or I fall into depression, now all of a sudden, oh, God's not really, doesn't care for me. And it's just like such a short-sighted view of who Jesus is. So he says, we need to have life with God because every one of those over, under, for, or from all of them are a sense of manipulation. And I threw in my sermon today that we have to watch out for kind of faux authority where we kind of give Jesus authority in our lives, but honestly, we have one eye closed and one eye open because if I give authority to Jesus in this life, I'm, I'm waiting for my handout over here. We look at it as a transaction, not as a transformation. So we kind of say, okay, Lord, I'll give you this if. You might not say it out loud, but let's be honest. I'll spend time with Jesus hoping that I get healed. And, and that's nothing wrong with that. But if all of a sudden your relationship with Jesus falls apart because you didn't get what you want, we fall back into what the Jewish people were doing here, being entitled. So we got to really watch when it comes to our entitlement. Who deserves to be healed? And I would love it. I would just love it if I had the gift of healing and everybody that I prayed over got healed. Oh, I would love that. That'd be the best. And I can't sit here and tell you why some people get healed and some people get healed after a while or some people go into remission and they get sick again. I don't know. I would love to know sometimes. 
But I also know, and I've been reading lately too, that let us not overlook his presence. Because the gift isn't always necessarily in just the healing, the crisis of the healing. The gift, you guys, is wherever you go, that good old hymn, no, never alone, no, never alone. He promises never to leave me, never to leave me alone. His presence is awesome. So don't short-circuit your whole journey with Jesus because you didn't get what you want in an entitled space in your head or heart. But realize that even though you don't have your answer yet, or maybe you got to know, I don't know, but he walks with us through the trials, through the temptation, through the valley of the shadow of death. So we have this entitlement that we're introduced to right away, but then we're introduced to something called humility. And humility is kind of funny because all of us have this uh, real desire to crawl up the ladder when it comes to our work or when it comes to our relationship. Who wants to be just meh? Like we all want, we all have aspirations. And here it's really bringing out once again humility. And first of all, humility is displayed by Jesus. He comes from a hard weeks or however long it took, hours and hours of sermonizing. And now he's busy once again. And this, this guy, the centurion, sends a group of elders and just says, hey, would you come and, and uh, bless this person so they can be healed? And he leaves everything. The sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ Almighty, leaves everything to go deal with this centurion's servant. To me, that kind of smacks of humility. I'm not sure about you. But Jesus is displaying an incredible humility here in whatever he's doing. He goes, okay, and he starts going with them. He listens to these folks on, on behalf of their boss or the centurion. Jesus went with them. But we also see a humility displayed with the centurion. I like the, what the King James says uh, in Micah. He says, He has shown you, O man, what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let me say that again. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requireth of thee, but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So somewhere along the line here, guys, our transactional, our credit cards, the way that we actually look at what is valuable has gotten turned upside down because even these people showed that he deserves to be healed because of what he's done. And now Jesus, and we see it even in the Old Testament, humility is something that seems that God is very interested in. So right off the bat, take note here that you are born into a world that does not honor humility. Think about that. You're born into a culture that humility is for weak people. You've got to stand up. You've got to know who you are and go forward. So already we can see that this life of Christ is quite different and we're called to something different. It doesn't mean you don't stand up for stuff, but it does mean that you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility. So a centurion was a commanding officer of about a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. So the Roman army was occupying at this point in Capernaum and what would happen is they would conquer all sorts of people and then they would just send an outpost there. So this centurion would have full authority to do whatever. So they actually 
Josephus even has some documented stuff that the Romans did some cool stuff and did appreciate some of this religion stuff because the religion or this Christianity would soothe people. So he'd build a, he would, or, or even walking with the Jewish religion, he would build a synagogue or something like it because it would bring people together and it seemed would bring a soothing to the people. So even Josephus, Joseph, a guy outside of the Bible, was actually commenting on sometimes the Roman people were, were good to the Israelites. And he knew what it was like to be under authority and to have authority. This centurion was sent there with authority, but he absolutely had to answer to Rome. But meanwhile, he had 100 people here, and whatever Rome says, this has to happen in Capernaum, he had to talk to his 100 guys, and this had to happen in Capernaum. Otherwise, Rome talks to me, and I'm dead me. So he knew he was in the middle. He knew both sides. He knew what it was like to say something, say, go, and people went. Come, and they came. And he also knew what it was like to say, somebody say, you go. Okay, I'll go. You come. I came. And it's kind of interesting here because nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody does. And I think it's human nature. And even in Paul's writing, you see that even when he admonishes people, he first started with an encouragement. You know, I really love what you're doing here. But I also see that dot, dot, dot. He knows the human nature is that we hate to be told what to do. Right? So here we're seeing a beautiful picture of humility and authority. And these, uh, this guy would be kind of like a, the military police for the Romans. He would keeping the calm and all that stuff. But in verse 6, I find it interesting. He says in verse 6 that, I do not deserve you coming under my roof. So just say the word and he will be healed. I don't deserve this. So here's this juxtaposition. And I think it's a few things. First of all, there's humility. And another commentator would say that there's not a humility, but uncleanness is in his mind. Because he knows that for Jesus, a clean Jewish guy, to come into the house of a Gentile, then he would be ceremonially unclean. So I'm not sure exactly what, but I kind of want to go with the humility thing. In that really that this guy is so humble that he doesn't even see that he needs to be in the presence of Jesus. He's heard about him. He knows enough about him that he has faith to send somebody to say, I need that guy to heal this profitable servant of mine. So he's working within a culture, respecting that culture, but he's also being sensitive to Jesus. And I like this because if you think about it, the centurion wasn't going to Jesus and saying, you know what, I would like to send this parade of people to go ask Jesus for something for me. He was actually coming, interceding on behalf of a servant. Notice that? So that's kind of a great reminder for us too. Sometimes we get so self-occupied with ourselves and our own troubles that, oh God, oh God, it's all about me, 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 me. When sometimes you just need to stop and go, okay, it's time to start looking outward. In fact, there used to be a little acronym that said the way we can uh, approach our prayer life is kind of joy. Jesus, others, and then yourself. So maybe start with worshiping Jesus, getting yourself aligned with who Jesus is. And then start paying attention to others, praying over others and asking the Lord to bless them. People that you appreciate and people that you might not appreciate. Um, and then also, obviously it's not bad to ask something for yourself. But here, it's kind of neat. This Roman guy could have asked for anything. The centurion could ask for any kind of benefit to himself. And yeah, he got a benefit when this guy remained alive. But he was asking on his behalf to be healed and to be brought back to life. So he's shown us incredible uh, humility, but he also understands authority. 
again, what I've said in just a little while ago, when he says something, he snaps his fingers, people listen to him, and he also knows what it's like to jump up when somebody else snaps their fingers. He has an understanding of authority, and this is what I've been hinting at here. It seems as though he has an understanding, and I don't know where he got this from, but there's something that he has displayed, an understanding that Jesus might even have authority over sickness and over life and death. Otherwise, why would he send somebody to Jesus? So somewhere along the line, he got a hint or he got some kind of belief. And again, that's what I said about faith. He, he had this humility and all this understanding of, 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 of authority and responding. And here we see it. He understood it. So somehow he believed that Jesus would have authority even over sickness and death. So again, what I'm saying is, do we just get sidetracked and enamored with being free from sickness or illness? Or do we get interested in the healer, not just the healing? Because with the healer comes presence. With the healer comes this incredible opportunity to get to know a person who knows you. And he knows your needs. And he's not just interested in your healing, but he's interested in you. And he wants to walk with you. And that might include healing. It might not. I don't know. But it's interesting because I think this guy displayed some kind of faith that even Jesus was kind of drop jaw and realizing, wow, this guy has displayed something. He understands authority. He understands humility. He gets it. And when it comes to faith, you guys, this man's faith impressed Jesus. Twice in the Gospels record, we are told that Jesus marveled. Here in Capernaum, he marveled at the faith of the Gentile. And in Nazareth, so his people, he marveled at the unbelief of Jews. So he doesn't use this very often about himself. And here he's amazed at the Gentile and he's amazed at the lack of faith of his own people. The only other uh, person Jesus commended for having great faith was a Gentile woman whose daughter he delivered from a demon in Matthew 15, verse 28. And again, at that point, he also healed her from a distance. Pretty cool, eh? So again, we're going with the theme of Luke, and Luke is looking out for the, the beaten down, for the downtrodden, for the poor, for the hungry, he's watching out for these people. And here he's given examples of even how Jesus would sometimes pass by somebody who's well-educated in faith, who's been going to church all their life, and going to a centurion or to a woman that gets it and responds, understanding authority and understanding humility and coming to Jesus in faith. The centurion says, just say the word. Just say the word. I think sometimes it's a little bit like Peter walking on water. Remember that story? Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come walk on the water. Come on. So it's a big storm, 
and you can just see he's holding on to the gunnel. He's slowly putting on one, one foot and then the other. He keeps his eyes focused on Jesus, and he's walking on the water. Like, who doesn't want to walk on water? How cool would that be? So he's walking on the water, and for some reason, when he starts to take his eyes off of Jesus Christ, or he starts to take his eyes off of the Christ that we have in written right here, he puts his eyes not on Christ, but he puts it on the what? On the water, on the waves, on his problems, on the, whoa, what could happen? All the big question marks. And you guys have a ton of questions. Why God? And here it's kind of interesting. We don't really see that why stuff going on. But here, even Peter, I don't know what he's thinking, but what, what, but, uh, and he instantly begins to sink. And Jesus, if you think about it, he could have let him sink to here, and then he could have still walked on water, or to the ear, whatever. He could have walked on the bottom of the sea, whatever. But he sinks to the point, he's, help, you know, and Jesus grabs him and puts him in and says, oh, you have little faith. But I wonder sometimes, because of our suffering or because of some of our disappointments, because of this culture that we're born into, that it's easy when things don't go our way, when we're, when we're entitled, and even we look at our faith, and even we've been serving Christ for 20 years, and he's not doing what we want him to do, we kind of walk away and we don't have the faith that is needed to walk with Christ. And I like it because we know that Peter was an interesting guy. But it's cool how Jesus never let go of that guy. And even though he has all sorts of ups and downs, Jesus never let go of that guy. And it's the same with you. You may have been putting your eyes on, on waves for a long time. You might be taking your eyes off Christ, but he's still bidding you, put your eyes back on me. Keep your eyes focused on me. I want you to have faith. I want you to have a simple trust. I want you to understand my authority, not because I'm an authority-wielding maniac, but because of who I am. And if you want to understand authority properly with Jesus, you got to get to know who. Starts with a J, ends with Jesus. <laughs> yes. You got to get to know him. You got to get to know him. And I like it because the equation I've given you today is faith equals hearing plus responding with humility and understanding authority. So, few things there we got to learn to listen but secondly I think you got to learn to share yourself there's a ton of people right here in White Rock that only know Jesus is a swear word and I'm not trying to be funny here I'm, I'm dead serious Jesus is just a swear word they really don't know what Jesus has done for them and for you so this is where I say you got to live out loud your faith has got to be seen. You've got to be able to share your words with people when the time comes up. Lord, I know you're at work and I want to be a part of it kind of prayer. And they see this because they need to hear it. And then they have an opportunity to respond with humility, understanding authority, the authority of Jesus in their life. So what would it look like, you guys, if we would come to Christ with that simple trust, realizing that we're going to give our lives over to his authority, we're going to humble ourselves to him, and he's going to have full reign in our mental health, in our physical health, in our spiritual health, all of it. He can have everything. Imagine what your life might be like. But then lastly, how would culture change if they actually looked at folks like us who actually believe this stuff and even if in disappointment we still hold on to Jesus and we keep our eyes focused on him even throughout disappointment even throughout pain throughout illness whatever it might be because we know 
who he is and we don't just want his bag of tricks. So how are you today in responding in faith? When's the last time you've really humbled yourself and you've listened to him and you've put yourself under his authority and not your authority with entitlement? Father, this morning I pray that you would continue to do something marvelous in our lives. Father, we need you. We need you, oh, we need you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, like even in my own life, this whole authority thing and realizing who you are and who you make us is an incredible thought. And I ask, Lord, as you said with the minor prophet Micah, that he help us to realize, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of us, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Father, go before us this morning, and I pray that you'd help us open our lips to be able to uh, share our story with others, and also, Lord, open our eyes to see how you have worked in our lives, and we give ourselves over to you again, afresh, to your authority. We give ourselves over to you in hearing and listening. We give ourselves over to you in humility. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.